Can I get a show of hands? Who thinks they have a really good memory? Like the, their ability to remember stuff is really good. Can I get a show of hands? One, one, two. Okay. Any like photographic memories? Oh, okay. Um, I wish I had a photographic memory because uh, I'm so jealous of those guys. Any terrible memories in the house? Way more terrible memories than good memories. I have a really weird memory. Not a good memory. A really weird memory. So sometimes random, obscure facts will get lodged up into my brain. I love to read and listen to podcasts. So if you've uh, hung out with me at any length, you've probably heard me go on about the nuanced differences between brown bears and grizzly bears. There is a difference. I'm very passionate about this difference. Or you might have heard me talk about the crazy story uh, that's the assassination attempt of Grigory Rasputin during World War I. Those are real words in a real sentence, and I'm very passionate about about that story, and I learned about it from a podcast. But at the same time, I have a terrible memory. I will forget conversations that I had earlier in a day. I'll forget what Netflix episode I'm up to, even though Netflix tells me what episode I'm up to. And probably worst of all, the worst thing is people's names. I am so bad at remembering people. If I've forgotten your name, I'm sorry. Just one big blanket, sorry. But it's not only your names that I forget. It's my own name that I forget. Like, like sometimes I forget my own name, and I'm embarrassed to share this with you. One time I was in the dining hall while I was away at school, and this guy passes by me. His name was Aaron. I didn't know that at the time, obviously. And so Aaron passes by, big smile on his face. He's like, hey, Joe. Big smile on his face. And I'm like, hey, Joe. Now, his name wasn't Joe. My name was Joe. <laughs> But obviously at the time, I had forgotten that. Another time, I was in the dining hall, which is just apparently a terrible place for me to be. And I was there with my buddy Ike, and we're grabbing lunch. And um, we passed by one of our friends, Lexi, and she's with one of her friends whose name I obviously don't remember. And so uh, she's like, hey, let me introduce you to my friend. Um, she says, hey, this is Joe and Ike. And Ike, like a normal person, goes, hi, my name is Ike. And then it's my turn to shake her hand. I go, hi, my name is Ike. And we never corrected it. So we stood there for a good five seconds, just staring at each other, and then we walked away. And uh, this girl, to this day, probably doesn't know who the real Ike was, and uh, it's one of the world's unsolved mysteries. And the only way that I could really explain to you what goes on in my brain um, when I'm forced to try and remember someone's name is through this picture. Um, it's just a bunch of miniature versions of myself running around screaming and then imploding. I just can't do it. My brain can't handle it. And I think um, no matter how much we hate to admit it, we're just forgetful people. And I don't just mean we forget our wallets or we forget our keys or our phones. I mean we are spiritually forgetful people. Uh, I think about the church, the American church, and, and I think about how God will come through for the church in an amazing way, and then we forget all about it, and the next time that we need God to come through, we are freaking out in crisis mode, wondering if God will do what he already did for us in the past again. And I think it's a symptom of our information-saturated culture. We live in this culture where news moves at the blink of an eye. Yesterday's news is old news. Books from five, ten uh, years ago are now irrelevant. 
We live in this culture that's telling us to forget the past, forget the past, forget the past, move forward. And I think the church is falling into this bad habit of forgetting what God has done for us. And I don't just think that this is an American problem or a church problem. I think that this is a human problem. Like I think back to the Apostle Peter. This is a guy who walked with Jesus, who lived with Jesus, saw him do miracles, heard him preach, heard him predict his own death and resurrection. Yet as soon as Jesus dies, he forgets all about what Jesus talked about. He forgets all about what Jesus did. And he goes back to his old ways. I mean, what a memory problem Peter must have had. What a forgetful mind he must have had. But I think we're the same way. And we just hate to admit it. And I think it starts with little things. I think at first we forget about, oh, what God put together last week or that worship service I was in where we felt God moving. Oh, yeah, it doesn't really matter if I forget about those little things. But then little things turn into big things. And when we stop remembering what God has done for us, our hearts start to turn away from God. See, if we forget what God has done for us, our hearts turn away from God. I think about Peter, who within a literal day went back to his old ways. I think about Solomon. Solomon was a king of Israel, very wise king, but at the end of his life, he began to get distracted by things. He was distracted by idols and distracted by sex, and so he stopped doing the things that God had commanded the kings of Israel to do, and he had forgotten about God, forgotten about what God had done for his nation, and in 1 Kings 11, it says that his heart turned away from the Lord. If we forget what God has done for us, our hearts will turn away from him. And if you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, first, I'm really happy you're here. And you might be wondering, um, maybe this isn't the service I should be at. Like, why is this guy talking about forgetting God? I don't even know if there is a God. Like, I don't have any references to forget, let alone remember. But tonight, we're actually going to be in a passage that focuses on a guy who's actually in the same boat as you are. So we're going to be talking about a guy who has no reference point. He doesn't know if there's a God. He doesn't know if, if this God does anything, if he works in the lives of people. And so it's my hope that tonight you will be able to identify with the guy that we're going to be talking about. So we're going to be in a rather obscure Old Testament passage, which, if I had to be honest, is my favorite kind of passage in the Bible. I love the Old Testament. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 5, and the books of First and Second Kings are really one book that biblical editors split up because it was super long, and basically the books of First and Second Samuel cover David's kingship and Saul's kingship before him, and then Kings picks up with the end of David's life, Solomon's reign, and then after Solomon's reign, there's a lot of controversy as to who should become king, so what happens is the nation itself splits into two kingdoms, the north which is called Israel, and the south, which is called Judah. And one of the major themes throughout First and Second Kings is this struggle between the king and the prophet, or better, the unbeliever and the believer. See, the kings start to get into this wicked habit. They forget who God is. They start turning to idols. And then you have the prophets who are on the scene trying to bring the people and bring the king back to God. 
And so tonight, we're going to look at a guy named Naaman, and he's actually not even from Israel. He's from an outside country, and God is going to do something amazing in his life to flip his whole world upside down and teach him a lesson that God was trying to teach the Israelites. And he's from a, a nation called Aram, which is sometimes referred to as Assyria. So we're going to pick up in chapter 5, verse 1. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because, though, uh, because through him, the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a great warrior, he had suffered from leprosy. So already in the first verse, you see that God is starting something. God is making moves in the story. And you might be wondering, why is God giving a foreign military success? Like, why would God give success to a nation that sometimes was Israel's enemy? And it's because God needs to give Naaman the influence with the king. He needs Naaman to be admired by the king. And we're going to see why a little bit later. But what's even crazier about this guy's situation is that he has leprosy. So if you don't know much about leprosy, it's this physical disease that is very external. It, it shows on your skin. Sometimes in, in serious cases, you would lose limbs or fingers. And nations were known for casting out people with leprosy out of fear for, for other members of the nation contracting it. And so a lot of times these lepers would be cast outside the city gates. They wouldn't be allowed inside. They would face rejection. And I think of Naaman as someone who probably suffered a lot. Someone who probably faced rejection on a daily basis, who looked at himself and thought, no one could ever want to be near me. No one could ever want to be friends with me. I bet in his single days, he thought no one could ever want to marry me, which we're going to find out he does have a wife. So single fellows in the room, you don't have leprosy, so you still got hope. This guy got a wife. But he was suffering on a daily basis. And what's crazy is that he's given influence with the king. Like no king would be caught dead with a leper in their presence. But that's how powerfully God was working in Naaman's life that he was able to get someone with leprosy to have influence over the king. And so in verse 2, at this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife, there she is, as a maid. And one day, the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria, that he would heal him of his leprosy. And I just love the, this unnamed girl that bursts onto the scene. And I think there's always that unnamed person that plays a part in our story, right? That person that you can think back to, and maybe you weren't friends with them. Maybe you don't even remember their name. But they spoke something into your life that completely redirected the course of your life. That ended you up somewhere completely different. And I think the reason that this girl remains unnamed in this story is to show that God is the one who moves the pieces. God is the one who places these people in this story and in our story. See, when God wants to lead you somewhere, he'll put the right people in your path to lead you there. And that's what this unnamed girl is. 
And some of us tonight feel like we need a visit from an unnamed girl. We need one of these nameless people to come and direct us. But I think far more of us tonight need to be like the unnamed girl. We need to stand up in our situations and say, hey, what you're going through, my God can handle that. We need to stand up in hostile situations like our schools or our workplaces and say, hey, what you're dealing with, why don't you come to church with me? I think more of us need to be like this unnamed girl. And watch what Naaman does in verse verse 4. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gift 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter, I present my servant, Naaman. I want you to heal him of leprosy. And so those military victories from before is what made this all possible. Like Naaman is asking to go and visit a a prophet of the God of one of their enemies. And the king loves this guy so much that he says yes. And that's just more evidence of God moving in this story of why God gave him those military victories in the first place. And then he brings cash with him. I mean, real cash with him. He's got gold. He's got silver. He's got Apple Watch. He's got like Yeezys on. He's riding like a Porsche horse. Like he's he's going in there. He's got it made. But don't miss the reason why he does that. See, he's going in there thinking that he has to buy his healing. And I think a lot of us end up in the same boat as him. See, he wants healing, which is a good thing. He wants to go to God for that healing. Also a good thing. But then he thinks that he has to earn it somehow. And I think a lot of us want to see God work in our life. We want to see God restore broken things. But we still think that we have to earn it somehow. And not with gold or with silver, but with the things that we do. And Naaman had in his mind some way that this was all going to happen. He had it all planned out in his mind. But the truth is, and a little spoiler alert, it's not how it's going to go. It almost never goes our way. He's got to do it God's way. He's got to do it God's way. In verse uh, 7, when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent a message to him. He said, why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. And I'll be the first one to say it. This king sounds like trash, man. Like this king sounds like a jerk. You ever know someone who gets so mad that he rips his own clothes off? Like, I have friends with anger problems or whatever, but I never rip my own clothes off. Like, that's real anger. And he's paranoid. He thinks that, like, this guy's coming for healing, and really that's him trying to pick a fight with him. And meanwhile, you're the king of Israel. Like, you're the king of God's chosen people. Shouldn't you be the number one advocate for God healing people? Shouldn't you be the number one guy who would stand up and say, yeah, God can do that? Instead, 
He's angry and he's paranoid. And just like God will always place people in your path to lead you where you need to be, there will always be people who try and come in and lead you the wrong way. And that's not people sent by God. That's people who, by their own bitterness, by their own disappointment, by their own failure, want to see you fail because they fail. And they want to make you forget because they've forgotten. There will always be people trying to divert you. Thank God Elisha hears this. And he says he wants to make something clear. He wants to show him that there's a true prophet in Israel. And what that means is that there's a true God in Israel. Because when you go into the prophet business, there's one of two jobs you can be. You can be a false prophet or a true prophet. And if you are a false prophet, that means there's no God working behind you. You're just a dude with some empty words. But when you are a true prophet, that means there's a living God working behind you. So when Elisha says, I will show him that there's a true prophet, he's saying, I will show Show him that there is a true God in Israel, a God worth serving. And so, verse 9, Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Farpar far better than the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned away in rage. I'll be real. I get his frustration here. Like, it seems a little cold. Elisha won't even come out of his house to meet him. It was a long journey. He must not know he brought, like, Nike swag or something. Like, he's just not coming out. And then on top of that, if I were Naman, I wouldn't even know if he was, like, making fun of me or something. Like, oh, bro, you need healing? No, you're just dirty. Go take a bath. Like, you must never heard of personal hygiene. You don't have leprosy. You just need a bath. But Naaman doesn't get angry because of what the prophet says. He gets angry because he didn't say what he wanted him to say. See, Naaman says it. He says, I thought he would come out here and wave his hands and heal me by calling out the name of his God. And sometimes for us, when it doesn't go our way, it's easy to get frustrated. Especially when we've forgotten the way God has done it in the past. See, if you just remembered the way that God had done it in the past, you would have no problem with doing it his way now. But when we forget about the way God does things, we want things to go our way. And then we get frustrated when they don't go our way. And they almost never do. And there's someone here tonight who's seen God do amazing things. Seen God come through in unexpected ways. But I think you've forgotten how he did it, and now you're doubting whether or not he'll do it again. And I want you to see what Naaman does next. One of his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he simply says, Go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. And again, we have another nameless character pop onto the scene and divert his attention back to God and send him back on the path he needs to be going. It's just another sign of God's hand in this 
story. God's hand orchestrating the events. And I know he probably didn't even see it at this moment. And I know a lot of us walk through life and we don't even notice the people that God puts in our path. We don't even notice the way that God chooses to direct us. And it would have been so easy for him to walk away like he's angry. And it would have been so easy for him to go home and to say, that was just a stupid trip I took once, terrible vacation, I'll never go back again. But instead, he takes a step in faith. And there's always going to be a moment when you're going after the healing, when you're going after the restoration, there's always going to be that moment where you have to choose. Will you step in faith? Will you decide to obey God? Or will you demand that things go your own way? Will you believe God or will you demand that things go your own way? And he was healed. And so Naaman goes with his entire party. They went back to find the man of God and they stood before him. And Naaman said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept this gift from your servant. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. And though Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elisha refused. And then Naaman said, all right, but please allow me to load two of my mules with earth from this place, and I will take it back home with me. From now on, I will never again offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any God except the Lord. And he goes from having no idea who God is at the beginning of this story, has no idea who God is or if God's even real. And he completely flips his world around. He is turning away from all of his old ways to worship God. And that's because when you encounter God, everything changes. When you encounter God, everything changes. And you might be saying to yourself, but I have seen people in my life encounter God and I've seen them walk away. Or maybe you are saying to yourself, I used to believe in God, but now I'm not sure if I believe anymore. How does everything change? Well, maybe it's not that you don't believe anymore. Maybe you've forgotten why you don't believe anymore. Like maybe in the time that's passed between then and now, you've let pain and disappointment and suffering slip in to those cracks to the point where you don't even remember what it was like to feel belief in God anymore. So maybe it's not, you, not that you don't believe, but you've forgotten that you believe. Because I believe with my whole heart that when you encounter God, it changes everything, but sometimes we forget that everything has changed. And sometimes we go right back to our old ways when we forget about God. And I think the answer to our problem of forgetfulness actually lies in these last couple of verses. See, first Naaman tries to give Elisha these gifts and he's still in that mindset of trying to pay for what he's received. And that's why Elisha refuses. See, if it were me, I would have been like, sure, dude, I'll take that. I'll go buy some stocks. I'll go buy a Nike tunic or something. It'll be great. But instead, Naaman refuse, or Elisha refuses because he wants to show that it was God who healed Naaman, not Elisha. It's the same reason why he wouldn't go out of his house a few verses earlier. To show that it was God who did the healing, not the prophet. 
And I think in that moment is when it clicks in Naaman's head. And that's why he makes a rather weird request. He asks to take home a bunch of dirt with him. Like the prophet rejects all this gold and then his next instinct is to take a bunch of dirt home. Like, he's not at, like, these cool pink sand beaches in, like, Hawaii or whatever where you make, like, a mason jar with, like, the seashells. Like, no, he just wants to take home some good old-fashioned dirt, bro. Like, he just wants to take home dirt. Like, why does that, what does that even make any sense? And I think there's two reasons why he does this. Two reasons why he wants to take dirt. The first, I think, is a little foreign to us. See, uh, land and nations had a lot to do with a person's belief back in the ancient Near East. Like, nations had their own gods. See, like, there was the sun god Ra'a in Egypt, but no one outside of Egypt worshipped the sun god Ra'a. That was Egypt's god. And in some nations, it would actually be difficult to worship your God outside of the physical boundaries of your nation. And this is similar to some Old Testament theology of the nation of Israel, the physical land of Israel. This land that God had given to the Israelites is now considered holy land. And so what Naaman wants is to probably build himself a temple or lay down topsoil in an existing temple so that he could worship God on a small piece of Israel somewhere else. But I want you to imagine the life change that that reflects. Like this dude is like, I can't even walk on the same dirt that I used to walk on. He needs to change the very ground that his feet touched because he had encountered God. And then I think there's a second reason he takes it, and I think it's something that's gonna be really helpful for us. See, I think he takes the dirt to remind him of what God did for him in Israel. See, now Amon's going back to a nation where no one serves God, no one worships God. And if he would have gone back with no reminder, he would have quickly forgotten about who it was who gave him healing. Through what God he got healing. But instead, with every step that he takes in his temple or in his house, he's reminded of the trip to Israel that he took. When he looks at his skin, he's reminded of the God who healed him. Without this, Naaman probably ends up just like you and me, forgetting about what God had done for us. Instead, we need to be like him, and we need to set up reminders for what God has done for us. A lot of us are going back to places just like him. So a lot of us go to school and we're surrounded by people who don't worship God. We go to work and we're surrounded by people who don't believe in God. And without reminders, it's really easy to forget what happened. We're living Sunday to Sunday. It's really easy to forget what God did. We need reminders. It's my fear tonight that some of you guys hear that and you think that it's stupid. You hear that kind of the, this all boils down to reminding yourself about who God is and what he's done for you. And it's my fear that some of you think that reminders aren't really powerful or they don't really work. Um, but I have here a reminder um, of something in my life. This is a card, a laminated card uh, with a Bible verse on one side and kind of clouds with a uh, clouds in a sunset on the other. 
And some of you guys, without even telling you uh, where I got this card, know where I got it from. Some of you guys have way too many of these. This is a card I was given at my Uncle John's funeral a couple months ago. And when I hold this card, um, I'm transported back into that funeral home. I can remember what it smelled like. I remember um, who I sat with. I remember what I was wearing. I remember being too embarrassed uh, to cry. I remember not wanting to go up and look at the picture board of his life because I didn't want to accept that he was gone. I remember the words that were spoken about him. I remember the message that the pastor preached. When I hold this card, I remember the Christmases and the Thanksgivings with my uncle. And see, a lot of us have reminders all around us and we don't even know it. In my room, right above my bed, I have another reminder. Um, I have these two sets of deer antlers. A lot of you guys know I like to go hunting. And I have these two deer antlers up above my bed that I had gotten while I was with my grandfather. My grandfather taught me to hunt. He taught me everything he knew. Um, It's a way that we bond together, that we spend time. But it can be really frustrating. You spend hundreds of dollars. You could spend time away from family, basically up in a tree in the freezing cold for 12 hours. I remember missing Thanksgivings, missing uh, youth group events, time with friends, time with family to go hunting. And sometimes I would literally stare at an open field with absolutely nothing in it. And it could be really, really frustrating. And sometimes it's really easy to even want to quit. But then I'll look up at those antlers above my bed. And I'll remember the times that I had with my grandfather. I'll remember the reasons why I love the sport. And it reinvigorates me to want to do it even more. It brings me past the point of wanting to quit and to the point where I want to go grab my bow and go start shooting because it just excites me. See, memories, reminders are powerful. So what do we do? Like, how do we do this? Well, first you have a decision to make. In this story, there were two basic characters. And remember, it's a, that basic struggle. You have the prophet, the one who remembers, and the king, the one who is forgotten. You have to decide which one you want to be. Do you want to be the one who has forgotten about what God did? Or do you want to be the one who remembers God, who stands up, when no one else will stand up. And then the how. And I want to ask you, how's your prayer life? And don't just roll your eyes when I say, how's your prayer life? I mean, seriously, how's your prayer life? Is it five minutes of just rattling off what you need from God and then you're done? And I'm probably being a little generous with five minutes for some of us in the room. Or are you taking five, 10, 15 minutes to just thank God for the things that he's done and things that he's doing in your life? Because I promise you, if you're taking 15 minutes to thank God for the things that he's doing in your life, you will not forget about the things that God is doing in your life. They will not go unnoticed. My grandmother, one of the most godly people that I know, has prayer journals. She told me all about these prayer journals that she has. She started it when she first became a believer. And, and what she would do, she would write down these prayers. And then as she would fill these books and these prayers would begin to get answered, what she would do is she would go back into the books and find that prayer 
and she would mark it in a different color pen and she would say, this is how God came through and this is when he did it. And now she has books on books on books filled with reminders of how God has come through for her. And she can pull that off of a shelf or out of a box and be reminded of what God has done. And that's something you can do literally tonight. Or how about you think back to a time when God was just moving in your life, when you experienced God. For a lot of us who grew up in youth group, those were those youth retreats. Like we all remember those third nights of the youth retreat where that was when God, that was when the Holy Spirit came, man. Well, maybe it's worth going on Facebook or Instagram and grabbing a picture and just printing it out and putting it up on your wall just so that when you look at your group of friends or, or that retreat center, you're just reminded of the times that God moved in your life. Because I'm going to be real. I look around sometimes at Christians who are struggling, Christians who are going through rough seasons, and the last thing they want to do is open their Bible. The last thing they want to do is pray. And it boggles my mind. And it's not because they're not a Christian. It's not because they don't love God enough. It's really because they've forgotten about the way that God has brought them through the rough seasons in the past. And when we set up reminders now, that's when we need them most, in the rough seasons. If we did this, I think we'd be a whole community of just those unnamed little girls who are just running around saying, my God can fix that. I love you. My God can fix that. I think it would be the most encouraging community to be a part of. If you're here tonight, you feel like none of this applies to you. Like you feel like, I don't know if there's a God. If there is, I've never seen him do anything. Well, I think there's one other character in the story tonight, and that's the main character, Naman. And he's just this blank canvas. He has no reference point. He doesn't know if he'll end up like the prophet or the king. But he does intend to find out. He sets out on this journey to find out whether or not there is a true God worth serving. And so I encourage you to be like Naaman. And, and intend on finding out whether or not this is real. If you're looking for somewhere to start, I would say start with Jesus. Just because if someone claimed to be God, claimed to offer healing and forgiveness and eternal life, and then die and raise from the dead, I'd want to find out if that were true. Like, I would want to know if that were true. And so that's where I would start. And be like Naaman, where if he comes through, and I believe that he will for you, be prepared to set up a reminder so that you won't forget it. So I just want to encourage you to take heart in that and maybe tonight start a conversation and ask God to begin moving in your life, to begin to reveal himself to you. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a second. Guys, I hope you see the importance of reminders because without reminders, we are on a road to forgetting God. You guys can pray with me. Lord Jesus, we are just so thankful for all that you've done for us. We are thankful for your word, which offers us lessons upon lessons on other people's success and other people's mistakes. I pray, Lord, that we be not like the king of Israel who had forgotten, but we be like Naaman who set up reminders when God moved. 
If you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to start a conversation with God, just ask him. Ask him to move. Ask him to reveal himself like he did to Naaman. Ask him to do what only he could do. To make it ever so clear that it's God. Lord God, we love you so much. And we pray that you begin to move in the lives of people. Move in the lives of the people in this room. Help us set up reminders. Recall to our minds the things that you've done for us so that we could set up reminders for ourselves, not as idols, but as ways of remembering how good you are to us, Lord Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you have offered us the ultimate reminder in the way that you died and rose again, that you are alive. Pray, Lord, that we don't forget it easily. In Jesus' name.